Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Well, good thing there's no longer a curfew in Montreal because there's something to celebrate on the streets. We have a Game 7 between the Montreal Canadiens and Toronto Maple Leafs after a 3-2 victory in Game 6 for Montreal. How's my French first? And Montreal. Wow, is that not that even close? How do you Montreal? say Montreal? Montreal. Montreal. You're, you're missing I, like I a. Mean, I, was in the ball, I was in the ballpark. I, I thought you were. I mean, Montreal. I was questioning. questioning everything even more than I'm questioning Sheldon Keefe right now. After you uh, initially responded <laughs> to my attempts. Terrasse. And you got and that, is, right. and that is saying something, my friend, because uh, I, have a, I have a couple things to say about uh, the Leafs coaching performance tonight. Ooh, but I'll off. let you since, you know, I'll let you since it's the, uh, you know, you're in Montreal. It's Montreal's big night. Twenty five hundred fans in the building, many more in the streets, some on terraces. That was not even. That was brutal. That was very bad. Very, <laughs> no, very bad. That was okay. That was okay. Uh, Ter- well, you, you kind of combined the ang. You kind of combined the English pronunciation with the French, with the way you got the rasses in at the end. It's yeah. the way your T's kind of have to sound. Yeah, Don't worry yeah, about yeah. that. We'll do a whole was, other way, podcast way too on quickly, that. Way too quick. Too much excitement. Didn't give it the proper attention okay. it needed. Um, but okay. So let's get to the game. I'll get you. You set things in motion here because. Uh, it's Montreal's big night. We're headed to a game seven on Monday night. But first, let's break down game six. Okay. Let's let me just do kind of what I did in the last game where I go from a macro level and start to kind of seep inside here. The fact that we had those fans in attendance for this game was nothing short of incredible to see. And hearing them sing the anthem ahead of game six was incredible. I know I, I made the plea for Jeanette Renault ahead of game six, but to hear those fans uh, sing the anthem was quite incredible. And I think everyone, whether you were a Leafs fan or a Canadians fan or just a regular hockey fan or just a sports fan, I think we could all appreciate that. I mean, you can all appreciate the fact that, you know, seeing fans in the stands for a hockey game in this country is a step in the right direction towards us achieving this new normal. Now, when it comes to this game, I'm still very surprised the Canadians are still alive. If you would have told me after uh, game four, where the Canadians found themselves 3-1, where they were listless, they couldn't score goals, it was tough for them to make any play in transition or complete passes, that they would be able to force a game seven, I would not have believed you. And since game six, well, since game five and game six, the Canadians have found ways to stay alive. They've had leads in both of those games and they blew them and found ways to win in overtime. Uh, I mean, yeah, against the play essentially and, and, and off mistakes. And I'm still just surprised. I, I think in, in game six to see the Canadians start off with the lead that they had and also just the, the start that they had in the first period, I thought they could have scored more goals and Shea Weber acknowledged that as well. But for them to go up to that 2-0 lead in the third period, I thought, well, okay, this game has to be over, but I was still a bit surprised that it took them that long to get to that point. This is a game, if this was a different team, if they were a bit more skilled when it came to finishing, this game's probably over in the second period. They're probably up like 3 nothing because they got themselves chances. But the Leafs, just the way they've been able to battle back in the third period, ultimately saved them from losing in regulation. But this was a game in overtime that should have been won by the Leafs. They controlled play. They had all the shots on net. The, tr- the Canadians' defense, they were rolling four defensemen 
for a good chunk of this game and they were gassed in overtime and the Leafs still couldn't beat the Canadians. I'm still very surprised about this. It's funny how we have different perspectives here because I'm becoming less surprised at what's happening right now. And I, I guess that's a little bit of the, the jaded nature from watching this team closely for a very long time. We are now at six consecutive failed elimination games. They, you know, they're on the verge of maybe their fifth consecutive first round exit in the postseason. Like I think all that kind of factors in and certainly from a player perspective, that's going to factor in, in game seven on Monday night, but I'm becoming less surprised because of the things that I mentioned in the last podcast, like, the way this is all shaking down, it's becoming a little bit more predictable. Like as long as Deneau can get it done against Matthews, I think the balance of power swings in Montreal's favor. And you mentioned that, you know, Montreal didn't play well, well enough to win, or, or I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's sort of what you were getting to is that you thought that the Maple Leafs deserve to win. I thought Montreal was clearly the better team for the first two periods. Like clearly. Oh, they were. In they the, were. In the first period, they should have been up two or three goals. Yes, like, they should have. It, it, they had an outstanding start and they emptied the gas tank and it almost didn't get them to the finish line or almost didn't get them home running on fumes, but they did get there. But when they emptied the gas tank or when they went full out, out, of, the, out of the shoot with the first 40 minutes, they were clearly the better team. And everything that we've been picking up on, the fact that they have some advantages in here and advantages there, they're all sort of becoming now a constant in this series when they're at full strength. And that's how they're getting back in the series here. This isn't like fortune for Montreal. They're not, get, they're not lucking into this position right now. Carey Price is playing brilliantly, but he's a part of their team. He's the best player on the team. He's a part of the team and you can't just say, oh, they're getting goaltended right now. That's not the case. Montreal is the better team for the majority of this game, I think. And if yes, you're looking at the majority of the game and if you look, People love doing this. Oh, you know, they're better possession, more scoring chances. Well, okay, look at the balance of the game. Montreal was better. So I'm starting to become less surprised with what's going on because we're learning more and more about this series. And as we learn more about this series, it's clear. It's much closer than we thought coming in. Like, I'm surprised. Here's the thing. I said Leafs in seven as a prediction because I figured that the Leafs were going to make this difficult on themselves. And I leaned on history for that. So while on that part, I'm not surprised. I'm still just surprised at just how the Canadians have been playing at different points in this series. And to be clear, uh, when I said that I thought the Leafs were probably going to win this game in overtime, it's really just off of that overtime period. And in the third period as well, where they were able to, to take control and at least tie the game. But again, just to focus on that overtime. The Leafs were getting most, if not all, the chances. I, I, I Off the top of my head, the Canadians had two shots on net, and that includes the Kotkaniemi game-winning goal in overtime. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're looking at the season that you had and you look at the fact that you were able to secure top, top slot in the North Division, you have Austin Matthews, you have Mitch Marner, you have all these pieces. You're, you were able to try to solidify your, your forward core with these veteran players. Your defense was supposed to have gotten better. And you shut down the Canadians uh, from a defensive standpoint with their offense at early points in this series. You have to be so frustrated right now. And, and this is pretty much a letdown. And I know we'll get to it later on as well, but the, the mistakes that the Leafs did as well in this game when the Canadians were playing well, uh, also playing a huge part in, in, in what happened uh, Saturday night. Like the, the Mitch Marner penalty is just, and I know we'll get to it, but just that's what's so surprising. It's the nature of this collapse. It's the fact that they had, they were dead to rights to win this game in overtime and put the Canadians out of their misery and other points in game six that I thought, well, okay, like this is not something that they should be doing. It's just, that's what surprises me the most. It's not the fact, maybe it's less the fact that it's actually happening, but the way that we were getting to this point is just kind of taking me by surprise. Well, you mentioned frustration inside the Leafs room, and I think it's got to be more than that. I think it's got to be fear now. I think we've graduated from frustration early in this series, games five and six, to Mm -hmm. downright fear and apprehension for game seven in Toronto on Monday night. Because, and I'll go into my takeaway now, this is the defining moment now for a franchise, Monday night, game seven. I mean, we have devolved here quickly from the Leafs thinking, fan base thinking, 
management thinking, I believe, that this is a legitimate Stanley Cup hopeful. And this has devolved from that to the Maple Leafs just trying to avoid, I think, the loss that will change everything. Yes, there will be excuses. John Tavares out on night one. Now it looks like Jake Muzzin is going to be questionable, certainly at best for game seven. It doesn't look like Nick Foligno can move out there. So there's excuses built in. But the idea of running it back around this group, around this core, with the same ideas and same principles after what would be a fifth consecutive first round exit and seven straight failed elimination games, I am not sure how you can do that. I honestly am not sure how you can do that. And I've wrote so much about how they did such a remarkable job building this team around those four players that we've talked about, Tavares, Nylander, Matthews, and Marner. And I, I honestly don't even know what's going to happen. I, don't, I can't even get to the point where I'm thinking about what might happen if they fail here. But I don't think you can do the same thing continuously over and over again, even if there are excuses. Like I, the Maple Leafs, I think, have to win on Monday night just to not only just to survive in the playoffs, but to survive as they are, honestly. Like I think it's reached that point. I don't know how they get through another off season and just say, Hey, we're going to, we're just going to try again. We're going to build it. Or we're going to build it again, build it again. Like, I, I don't know how they can do that because what is next season going to be that another year of these guys down? Uh, I'm, I'm honestly, it's, it's, it's a remarkable situation they find themselves in and it is fascinating. Like it is going to be a complete catastrophe if they lose game seven and how the market responds to it, how the team responds to it. It's going to be more interesting than it's ever been. And it's literally always fascinating what the Maple Leafs do and try to improve themselves in the summer. It is clearly and quite terrifyingly a crossroads moment for this franchise. I can't even believe that they're in this position. But like, I mean, not to jump ahead here, I mean, because there's still a possibility the Leafs win game seven. But if they don't, like, what what do you do? You've you've shelled out all the money. I don't know. You shelled know. out the money for Austin. You shelled out the money for Mitch. You shelled out money for John Tavares. Like, do you trade William Nylander, who was the best leaf for you for the for this team in the series? Like, exactly, exactly. What do you man. do? Like, I don't know. I, I it's it's just that's what makes this such a surprise. Like, I get it. The 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 series against the Bruins in the years past it just kind of brings back these horrible memories for fans. But like. This Leafs team really should have defeated the Canadians a lot sooner than this. And, you know, I get the Canadians had the hot start and they fizzled and now they're in the fourth seed. They're still, and, and, and yes, they, they made all the changes in the off season with the hopes of at least going on a run and making the playoffs, but they're going into game seven playing with house money here because nobody thought that they were going to, not a lot of people thought they were going to win this series. Uh, and a lot of people probably didn't think they were going to make it to a seventh game. And if you're the Montreal Canadiens right now, as tired as you may be after game six, if I'm if I'm a player on that team, I'm hoping to go out and play loose and free because all the pressure is on Toronto. And I mean, it, it was on Toronto from the beginning of this series, but in game seven in Toronto, like if I'm a Jake Evans or, or if I'm any other player on this game's roster, like, I'm going in and I'm playing just happy, not happy, but just I have nothing to lose at this point. Like you were able to take a team that was supposed to be top tier in the, the, the division that you're in. And a lot of people were willing to put them into the Stanley cup final and, and you were able to put them on the brink. If the Leafs even win this series, I'm not sure how they're even going to look against the Winnipeg jets. Like I'm dead serious. I don't know what they're going to do against the Winnipeg jets. I'm hundred percent with you. I'm not convinced you. they beat them. I, I, I'm not either. Uh, I, and I was before, certainly. Um, and things have changed quite a bit. And another thing I want to make a point on, on your Montreal point there is this was looked at as a defining moment for Montreal too, this season, right? Yes. Like yes. Mark, Mark Bergevin's last stand, all this energy and effort he's put in to try and get this team into the right spot. And it failed, right? It seemed as it failed. It didn't, it didn't come together as if he expected. And Dominic Ducharme. We're going to be look- out. Yeah, and Dominic Ducharme not looking like the coach that should be in charge of this. And, you know, I don't want to mention Patrick Wozniak, but all these, like, who's going to be the next coach? Who's going to be the guy that comes in? Because this guy's clearly not it. Like, that's how it seemed. And who's going to be the next guy that comes in for Bergeron? That's how it seemed. And now, because they haven't crashed out in five games, they have a chance in this game seven. Even if they lose, maybe they think, 
well, we got something going here. Leafs are a great team in the regular season. Maybe we're I pretty good. Man, I mean, if you're Jeff Molson, you're thinking I've, – I've thought about this too. Like, yes, maybe there's some kind of line of thinking if you're the owner, Jeff Molson, thinking, oh, well, yeah, well, the Canadians were able to, 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 to push the Leafs to this point. But, I mean, especially for a guy like Dominic Ducharme, this is just my view of this here, and I think a lot of people share this opinion too. What would this series have been like if he had played Jesperi Kakanyemi and Cole Caulfield from game one? Because oh I, I mean, you're going to look at Sheldon Keefe's coaching decisions. Like we're, we're approaching a game seven. And I still think two of the worst decisions Ducharme could have done was bench Cole Caulfield and Kakanyemi in the first games of this series. And had he played those two players, considering the way the Leafs look now, we're, we may not be looking, we might still go to seven, but it might be a completely different outlook. Cause Kakanyemi looks good out there. He's been one. Of, he's been arguably one of their best faceoff men, if not their best faceoff men. He gets the OT winner. He scored three goals in the series. And Cole Caulfield at different points, even if he doesn't have the points to show for it, he has shown a bunch of confidence playing in the playoffs right now. Those are two guys who should have been in the lineup from jump. It is inexcusable, but I will make an excuse for him because when Tavares went out, everything changed in the series, right? The dynamic of all this stuff, like all that changed. So if maybe he was thinking. God, if I got to play my second line against John Tavares and William Nylander here, are they not going to eat up Caulfield and Kotkaniemi? Maybe. And I, I think, honestly, and I think one of the big differences in this series, and I've talked about it ad nauseum here, is the, the bottom nines for these teams. Like, which one is better? And with Tavares out, it swung, you know, it swung a little bit in Montreal's favor. But when they added Jesperi Kotkaniemi and Cole Caulfield to that bottom nine, and I don't even bring up Caulfield when I discuss this, because I've talked about it a, a lot. And I always, th- I always say Anderson and Toffoli and Suzuki, those are the bottom nine guys. Cole Caulfield, too. Like, it is, there's so much more talent in the bottom nine of Montreal compared to Toronto. And I, I still think that's a huge difference in the series because Matthews and Marner have not um, held up to their end of the bargain. Um, you mentioned you, you don't believe, you know, it's a sure thing that the Maple Leafs get past the Jets. I certainly don't either because th- there are serious questions remaining, even if they get by Montreal on Monday night. First of all, they have to start again on Wednesday very quickly while the Jets have been have been resting. But I, you know, I mentioned off the top about how deep this team is or, or became over the course of the regular season, but every deep team still has its weakness. It's weak points. It's soft spots. Right. And if you take out John Tavares, we immediately saw, well, they don't really have anyone to fill the void. Yeah. Kerfoot did it really well, but you know, then the, the bottom drops under that and they become less and less and less powerful. Jake Muzzin is John Tavares to the back end. He is, he is a kin. He is the same thing. He's going to do the same thing. And if Jake Muzzin can't play, then all of a sudden two guys that you've been going back and forth with yo-yoing out of the lineup because they've made mistakes and exchanged their mistakes, Travis Dermott and Rasmus Sandin, they're both going to have to not only play, but play elevated roles because Jake Muzzin's not going to be there. It seems Nick Foligno is hurt. He's that luxury guy that you brought in because you wanted to make it, you wanted his leadership. You wanted to solidify that second line, not have to play Alex Galchenyuk because you knew he could throw the puck in the middle of the ice and have Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki score two on zero in overtime in game five. That's why you got Nick, Nick Foligno. But even he's hurt. He can't move out there. He played, but he can't move. So these deep teams, the deepest the Maple Leafs have ever been, they're still weak in certain areas. And if you expose those certain areas, like it has been done, and Montreal hasn't done it on purpose. There's two freak injuries here, it seems like. But losing those two players... Not only is it hurts their chances in game seven, but it's hurts their chances at progressing beyond the Winnipeg Jets and into the third round of the playoffs. Like the Maple Leafs, their expectations, their goals, their ambitions in these playoffs have changed. It's now about survival. It's about surviving Montreal in game seven and just being thankful that you can say one positive thing about this year or this postseason, and that's that you finally won a playoff round with the current core. It's devolved from high aspirations to just can we please get the monkey off our back? It is crazy how things have changed. Can I ask a question here? If the Leafs lose this series against the Canadians, we've established that changes have to be made with the core that's in place, with the players. Do you think anything happens with upper management? No, I can't see it. I mean, there's a real golden boy um, – situation going on with Kyle Dubas and I don't think that's unwarranted I mean I think honestly and objectively I think he's built the best I mean objectively and then I give you and I think but in my opinion he's given you the best team that's ever been assembled in this era in the salary cap era 
Um, and, and I don't, I really don't think there's any doubt about that. So there is built-in excuses, as I mentioned with Tavares, injuries, all that. And I honestly believe he built a, a fantastic team. He can't account for Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner not showing up in the first round, not playing even close to their best. Like Austin Matthews was a danger every time he touched the puck in the regular season. He hasn't looked bad. Mitch Marner has been a liability at times. He's played well on the, yeah. on the penalty kill, but he, he makes boneheaded mistakes and he, doesn't, he hasn't provided any offense. And they've had Tavares go out and they've had this. Now they have an issue with Muzzin. Like, I think he's got that. And I think he's built a really good team. But now you have to do it again. Now you have to adapt. And how many more times can you go into the summer saying, okay, it was my fault? Because he's going to do that. He's going to say, it's my fault I didn't do this. And when you keep saying that, eventually, okay, it was your fault then, Kyle. But I, I don't think it's, that's the situation. I think he deflects on purpose, and that's what he's going to do again. But I, I certainly don't think that'll be the issue. He, he, you know, we talk about GMs. They get one bullet, their coach. I think the one bullet for Dubas still is, okay, make that big trade. And I honestly, I don't even know. I don't know what he'll do. I have honestly no idea if he'll even do that. He's promised that he wouldn't do that. But at some point, something has to change. And maybe his stance on that has to change. I don't know. Man, I just feel like game seven is going to be so important for both of these franchises. I still think that even if, you know, the Canadians have been able to put the Toronto Maple Leafs in this particular position, you know, the fact that, again, Dominic Ducharme, the fact that he didn't play Kakanami and Caulfield still has to be considered. But also the fact that this Canadians team, despite the fact that they went out and they got Josh Anderson and Tyler Toffoli in the offseason, I find just in this postseason, when it comes to scoring goals, it's just been a laborious task. You know, like the fact that they went through the opening 40 minutes and they didn't get a goal in game six was very much, I think, from the, from the point of the Canadians, like a bit of a frustrating thing to have happen. You have guys buzzing around the net. You have the crowd at your advantage. And you have pieces who for, for, you would think would be able to put the puck in the net, and you're still not able to do that. And there have been so many other instances in this series, but that hasn't happened. It looks as if they're going to have to find another forward piece to, to make something work. I mean, Eric Stahl might end up just leaving with this, end up leaving. I don't see him coming back with this team for next season. You might have to go fill in that hole in the bottom nine. Uh, among other things that have to be done with this team, maybe you need to find a way to make them more mobile. Like, and, and, and I still think with the way that Bart Bergman handled this season, uh, while I can, force, I can foresee a situation where because of the weirdness of the season, because of how condensed their schedule was near the end of the year, uh, maybe the Canadians say, you know what, you can give Mark Bergman another chance. And hey, maybe that extends to Dominic Ducharme as well. But you can't go through a series like you did against the Toronto Maple Leafs and not feel you have to make changes as well. There's definitely going to be stakes on the line for the Canadians as well if Game 7 does not go their way. I'm not sure to what point. But I think that's also a franchise that also has to consider its future as well uh, if things don't go their way on Monday. It's crazy that the stakes are this high and the quality of hockey is fairly low. You know what I mean? That's fair. Like it, like it for, for it to mean so much and it, to go to game seven, comebacks, multiple overtimes, you'd think, wow, what an unbelievable series. But even if the Leafs won that game, honestly, I, I feel like the, there would be not mixed emotions. I just don't think it would be what they expected, fans. Because I, I mentioned catharsis off the top of this series. How is it going to be that for Maple Leafs fans? They're going to finally get this monkey off their back, feel good about something. But that game, as a Leaf fan, from the Leafs' point of view, I don't think you could feel that good about it. Like, nothing no about it was, was encouraging at all. And if they won that game, I think, yes, it would be, there would be delirium. Let's, if I'm being honest, people would yes, be very, would be. very happy. But it's just not the way I expected, at least. And it's, it is, and it's probably, I don't know, Monday night, everything could change. Austin Matthews could have a hat trick and they're literally, they will literally be partying in the streets, breaking, well, we don't have curfew, but breaking Doug Ford's uh, orders, at least. Um not that we advocate for that. But this hasn't gone to script. It just hasn't. It just hasn't. Not at all. Nope. It's, it is a crazy how much how much this game means to two, the two most important franchises in the league. 
And it feels like they're both just going to run into a brick wall right on the other side, doesn't it? Dude, would you rather, you know, obviously as hockey media people, we try to have unbiased opinions, whatever, and not be fans of teams. But let's just imagine a situation where we're both just fans of teams in the National Hockey League. Would you rather be a fan of a team that has a hot start at the beginning of the year and basically spends the rest of the season just kind of being like middling around and just being so-so? Or would you rather be a fan of a team that's been good all year and then in the playoffs they just they completely underwhelm? I mean, it's... (laughs) Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's, it's so it's really obvious to knowing what you're talking about right now. Yeah, so I, will, I will take I will take the guesswork out, and I'll say I'd rather be a fan of the Montreal Canadiens right now because it's literally <laughs> Mon- Monday night will be fun. There was no expectations coming in. You got yourself to this point where you've already partied once after Game Five. You really partied some in the rink after Game Six. Like things are good right now. You've had a moment to really savor in the playoffs. Something you haven't done. Not, well, they have done in the last 14 months, but something you haven't done with people at the Bell Center in 14 months. So this is all gravy now. There's a little bit of there's a b- little bit of house money here. I think you actually used the word house money or the yeah. term house money before. I think there's a little bit of that. While no, not a single Leaf fan, until they're up, not even 4-1, they got to be up more than 4-1. <laughs> not until they're up comfortably <laughs> will any Leaf fan be enjoying Monday night's game. And honestly, I think Montreal Canadiens fans will savor Monday night unless it gets to a point of no return. Honestly, Uh, it would be much better to be a Montreal Canadiens fan right now. Yeah, because like, look, nothing to if they lose, they lose. And maybe there's changes to be done. Maybe there won't be. But if you beat the Toronto Maple Leafs, oh, man, you come back from a 3-1 series deficit. Canadiens fans are going to lose their minds. Toronto fans won't be able to tell them anything they're going to be insufferable on the timeline Montreal Canadiens fans are naturally insufferable I shouldn't say naturally insufferable people that's kind of mean to the Canadians fans I do know but a lot of them can be insufferable <laughs> look at how they treated Jonathan Drouin after he ended up leaving for for personal reasons they could be insufferable but and and bad but oh, there's a lot of good ones but if they win game seven oh the Twitter timeline will be flooded with with gloating and and zone time if zone time oh and if zone time happens and omar is on the episode and the leafs have lost game seven i might just let omar just talk the whole time and just see See, what he says that's another development here because any leaf fan was immensely cocky going into this series and there's going to be like there there aren't enough chickens to create enough eggs to put on people's faces like it's going to be it's going to be insane because there's there was so much crap talked before the series at the start of the series. Uh, and really this is like game of Thrones type content right now. Like there is, you've overthrown the King. Like this is tear down the walls, infiltrate. I now own this kingdom type of stuff that Montreal Canadians fans can now do with Toronto Maple Leafs fans, because it could be the end. It could be like, we, we, tore you guys down and there's actually no coming back from it let's get to that point i i don't i didn't watch game of thrones so i'm just gonna take your word on it it was a loose i tried it yeah right out there yeah I, I but you know I what mean, i got the like gist a, of it i watched it i got I the gist it, of it binged it during the pandemic 
maybe yeah. I, I don't know quite enough to be just you know throwing out one a, day we're going to find a show that we both watched and we can make references of and we can be like yeah i understood that reference quite the, quite the difference between spongebob and game of thrones uh okay let's go let's get a little bit deeper on the game that we just saw i mean we're talking a lot about big picture stuff a lot of ifs um but let's go to the task at hand and i mentioned i got to talk about keith let's just do it right now uh do it. this is probably the most i've ever questioned sheldon keith mainly for his lineup decisions also the cha- the goal challenge questionable but not as bad i don't think and i'll get your opinion on the goal challenge after um his lineup his lineup decisions i i I just thought they were horrible horrible today we discussed this a lot but the reason why the maple leafs have survived without austin matthews and mitch marner playing well is the fact that william nylander and alex kerfoot out of nothing formed this brilliant partnership they were the reason right so nick felino comes back and you break up the only thing that was working for you in the last three games, the only thing, the, the partnership that carried you to at least two victories, William Nylander and Alex Kerfoot. Not only that, but after some time, it was clear that Nick Felino just didn't have it. Like what made Kerfoot and Nylander work was the fact that they both sort of played off each other's speed. They both could move through in transition, through neutral ice with each other in tandem and put pressure on the Montreal defense like that. But Nick Felino was literally trailing the play every time there was any chance of moving in transition for the Leafs. Any chance they were going up ice, Felino, okay, maybe defensively responsible, but being defensively responsible 50 feet back of where you should be probably to be there if a scoring chance does arrive, not good enough. Nick Felino is clearly laboring out there. And for 50 minutes, Sheldon Keith kept him with Alex Kerfoot and William Nylander. And then the moment he decides after being down 2 nothing that we got to change things up, Kerfoot, Spezza, and Nylander. Kerfoot and Nylander being together again. And Spezza, who was the only other bottom nine Leaf that was doing anything in this series, really. They put those three guys together, and they score almost immediately. So finally, okay, we well, clearly things aren't working before. Now they're working, tied the game. Great. Go to overtime, and you keep with the same thing. No. He goes back to his initial lines to start the game with Nick Foligno back up on the second line. I I just don't understand what he was doing today. And then there's series issues of, you know, Joe Thornton literally starting every power play. Maybe he likes to take the draws. That's fine. But I think there's got to be another way because he's done nothing on the power play. And now he's been employing, Keith has, this make a mistake and now sit philosophy on his defense score. Can't do that anymore because Jake Muzzin's now going to be sitting. But now both those players that have gone back and forth after making mistakes have been punished for it. And who, who makes a mistake on the overtime winner? Travis Dermott. So under, under normal circumstances, if you did have your full complement of players, Travis Dermott would likely be sitting in favor of Rasmus Sandin, who made mistakes that cost the Leafs the game before that. Like the way he's like that is that in itself going back and forth and just judging it based off one thing. One thing that, yeah, there's a lot of mistakes made in a hockey game and only few of them actually result in goals, but this one does. Like, Travis Dermott probably wouldn't play in Game 7 because of that reason, and I just don't think that's the best way to choose your optimized roster. Man, you see anything I, else Sheldon Keefe do that was wrong in this game or in this series? Like, I think the way that you were just kind of putting it out there, just that surprises me. And, uh, I mean, if, if the Leafs end up losing the series, it's kind of hard to not – do you put most of the blame on Sheldon Key for that? I mean, by the looks of things with, I mean, yes, fine. He has the built-in excuses. We've brought it up at nauseum with, with the, with the injuries that they've had, but if he's splitting up some of his best players also, what do you do with, with Matthews and Marner? Because they've been playing together all this series long and they have not been effective. Do you split well, them up? Like, what do you, what do you do with those two? What he's done in this series is just, basically say okay the sample's going to get long enough where these two guys will finally break out that's literally all they've done with them they put nylander up a little bit at the end of this game and they put him up at times and i don't know if that's the best way to do it because they tried that in last year's playoffs and it blew up in their face but you know you got to try something you got to try something to get them going because it clearly hasn't worked i mean i think my thing would have been putting either Simmons or Felino up on that line and trying to get, drop Hyman down because you know Hyman's going to give you honest minutes regardless of where he's going to play. And he did that as they shuffled the lines. 
But I, I think I think the least of his mistakes is just hoping that Matthews and Marner will break out because they should. And if you mentioned, okay, who gets the most blame? I still think it's Matthews and Marner if they drop another or they lay another egg in game seven and don't get it done, don't score, and the Maple Leafs lose. I still think it falls on them predominantly because they literally just got eaten up by Phil Deneau, and that's the difference in the in the series, if that happens. But I think Sheldon Keefe's got to wear it too. I mean, I, I, there's a lot – in this game specifically, particularly, there's just a lot of things that have left me scratching my head. I, I'm trying to think of one particular play involving Austin Matthews where Joel Edmondson has the puck in the corner and he gives up the puck and it goes right to Austin Matthews and he's on an angle. I'm trying to remember this play, but the way I remember it, there's a leaf like to his left, like in the slot. But if nothing else, like Austin Matthews is right there on an angle and he shoots the puck into Carey Price's chest. And even if it was just, even if it's just him there, like a player of Austin Matthews' caliber, I figured he'd be able to pull up a better shot or at least, you know, slide towards Carey Price and make a move or something. But there has been quite a bit of that in this series where he's just, the shots he's been able to, to get off are just, he, he's not as dangerous or as lethal as, as I thought he was going to be. Through six games, he only has a goal. Yeah, and he has dealt with wrist uh, issues all season long. They've popped up at times intermittently. You usually can tell when it's happening. So I, I don't even I, – I haven't seen anything that would point to it. But you're right. He hasn't looked even remotely as dangerous as he normally looks. Usually in the offensive zone, if he has the puck on the stick, if you're the opposition, you're holding your breath. Because yeah. he's that dangerous when he has the puck on his stick and when he's winding up to shoot. Again, I think the defense for Montreal – specific to him has done a tremendous job. Phil Deneau, Shea Weber, Ben Sherrod. I think they've made life miserable for him in that line. Um, but there might be something else that plays into it. You mean, I, I don't think you're wrong in saying he doesn't look like the same guy and the puck doesn't normally hit goaltenders in the chest. Um, but maybe Carey Price is winning that battle too. I think so. And I think the fact that Carey Price is playing the best hockey he's played all year is a huge reason. I mean, of course, it's the big, it might be the biggest reason why the Canadians are in the position that they're in right now. Yes, Phil Deneau has done as well as he can against that Marner's line. Yes, some of those young players have done really well in offensive situations. But Carey Price has, in almost every game he's played in this series, has played like the best player, has made saves to keep his team in it. I thought in the overtime period where the Leafs were at their most dangerous in the game, he held the Ford up and mm-hmm. he was, he was stellar in that. And it's funny to hear Kakanyemi uh, in the post game availability say like, Hey, there were a couple of times where Carey Price literally saved, saved his ass a couple of times, but it, that literally, st- I mean, that's Carey Price in a nutshell, uh, pretty much since he reached his elite forward for the Montreal Canadiens, he saved their ass so many times and he's playing like a goaltender who, it's funny to say worth $10.5 million considering what goalies can be worth and still deliver amazing performances. But, you know, you think of the contract that he has now, a lot of people are a little quiet about that. Before, during the season, everyone was thinking, oh, well, Carey Price not living up to the money. He's not playing as well, but he's saving his best performances for when it really matters in the playoffs. And he deserves all the credit for bringing them to this point. It's a reminder. I mean, we always evaluate contracts and the value on contracts based on the regular season always invariably yeah, that's we what we do but and i'm not saying that carry price is worth ten and a half million dollars it's hard to argue that any goaltender is worth ten and a half million dollars exactly. but when the montreal canadians get to the postseason he is a ten and a half million dollar goaltender he's a ten and a half million dollar impact player any other player that it makes ten million dollars plus in the series and there's a few Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares when he's on. Shea Weber's close. Shea Weber's at seven and a half, I want to say. Off Shea the top Weber's of my head. He, he makes he makes quite a bit of money. I might be I so, might be just so a no, little off, but he makes money. No eight figure guys other than Carey Price with the Montreal Canadiens, correct? No, correct. Yes. He's the only guy anyway. pushing at ten. Yes. So there's four in the series. It's clear which one deserves to make the most money if you go game by game in this series. Like Yes. Carrie Carrie Price is full value for ten and a half million dollars. Come the playoffs, 
Is it the case in the regular season? No. Should that probably matter less? Yeah, it probably should matter less because, you know, you build teams for the postseason. You don't build teams to post 925 save percentages and play 60 times in the regular season. If you can get to the playoffs, all right. And then when you're in the playoffs, you go from there and you just go on a run if you can go on a run. I'm not saying the Canadians are going to go on a run, but the fact that the Canadians are in a series with the Maple Leafs, that everyone, a team that everyone thought was going to beat them handily in five games, maybe a sweep in certain cases, Carey Price is the biggest reason why the Canadians are at this point right now. I'm telling you, I'm, just, I'm, I'm keep reiterating it. That overtime period, it looked bad. A lot of people were just kind of looking at the, at least from the Canadian standpoint, and just thinking, well, geez, this Canadian's defense, they, they can't even get out of their zone. They can't get to the red line. It was looking bad. And Carey Price, the whole way through in overtime, had to hold the fort, had to make some saves, stymie the Leafs' best offensive players. And it felt like a bit against the run of momentum where Kakanyemi was able to get that goal off. 100%. There's been just been instances in this series between that goal, Byron's goal in game one as well. Uh, the Nick Suzuki overtime where the Leafs had the puck in the offensive zone turnover. And then it leads to a breakaway going up. Like the Canadians have just been able to take advantage of some mistakes against the flow of play where it seems as if the Toronto Maple Leafs should be leading. And a big reason why is because Carey Price does enough to hold them up a break goes their way. Let's talk about uh, Sheldon Keefe's decision to challenge Corey Perry's goal. I mean, if we're talking about, you know, why the Can- Canadians won, well, they won because, yes, Perry Cook and Yemi scored the overtime winning goal. But why did they get to that point? Or how did they get to that point? Uh, it was because they built a two-goal lead with two power play goals, which is a major development in the series either for either team if that would happen. Uh, but it went Montreal's way with a pair of power play goals and it was it was self-inflicted almost exclusively because William Nylander took the original penalty a little bit out of control crashing into Carey Price two-minute minor put Montreal on the power play and then a scramble ensues in front of the net Jack Campbell maybe his worst moment of the game sort of got pulled out of the net got stuck there and got stuck there partly because he was way too far out of position but also because Tyler Toffoli was right behind him. And that was the reason why the Canadian or the Maple Leafs decided after a lengthy, uh, a l- lengthy uh, interval in order, in order to uh, mull over the, t- the, the decision rather um, they decided to challenge the play. And it, it's kind of in that gray area, right? Like I, I, I talked about um, Vegas and Minnesota and Alex Tuckle that got wiped off the board. And it's almost like the referees have to be completely wrong in order to overturn their own ruling. So the ruling on the ice was a goal. Sheldon Keith has to prove or the video has to prove because Sheldon challenged it, that it was clearly goaltender interference. And there was actually no contact between Campbell and Toffoli because Campbell was that far out of position, but it, it, he was like in his way to get back. If he was going to get back, he's standing right where, Campbell needed to be in order to make the save. So I thought it was interesting, but then I reminded myself, oh yeah, referees do not call it back unless they have to. Here's what I think about that play. You're absolutely right that Tyler Toffoli is right behind Jack Campbell, but Jack Campbell is out of position and he does not move from where Mm -hmm. he's at, right? Like, I think we look at it very differently if Tyler Toffoli stays in position and Jack Campbell tries to get back up and tries to skate back to the net, and he's clearly being impeded. But Jack Campbell just kind of laid on the ice and didn't really move, or at least didn't get back into position. I know some people were trying to say, like, hey, you have to kind of allow the goaltender to get back into position, but the goaltender, I also I think, also has to make an effort to put himself back in position, and I don't feel Jack Campbell did anything to put himself back in position as well. And maybe that's what the refs determined when they were looking at that play, because you can clearly see Jack Campbell remains out of the net as that goal mouth scramble continues. And when I saw that unfold, I thought, well, that has to be a goal because even if Tyler Toffoli is, is, is around in that vicinity, Jack Campbell isn't really doing anything to put himself back in, in the net. That's why I thought that challenge was so weird. And also I could not help but think, of when uh, Dominic Ducharme did the same thing in Game Four with a with a goaltending with a with a challenge of his own, where he called for goaltender interference, 
and everyone made a big deal about that. And while it was not nearly as costly, I mean, the Canadians ended up losing that game pretty badly in their worst game of the series, but that was a head scratching moment. And it's just really interesting to see uh, that basically repeat before the other team. Also the Canadians power play going off for two goals uh, we've seen both of these power plays basically be Poubelle this boat for the majority of the series, but the Leafs have a game in this series where they say, Hey, with our power play woke up game six is the game where the Canadians power play seemingly wakes up off a greasy goal and net front presence. I mean, Corey Perry gained the job done. And then on the five on three Tyler to fully posted right in front of the net, just beats Jack Campbell. So uh, maybe the Canadians can take some confidence out of the goals. They were able to get on the power play. I have a weird feeling it might, uh, it might not necessarily have that same effect in game seven, but who knows? Was there anything they changed? I, I mean, I was going to mention that um, <clears throat> obviously the challenge led to another power play. Uh, and then Mitch Marner made maybe the, the the sort of play that sort of defines his series where he just tries to get extra cute with what is an easy dump and clearance and threw it way over the glass from it on the other side of the ice from his own end. Uh, so that put them on a five on three, obviously the five on three, I don't think they've had one in the series. So that maybe changes your look a little bit, but did Montreal change anything with their power play? Has anything evolved through the process of this series that you can pinpoint, or is this just a matter of, okay, we were, you, we put the puck in a dangerous area and we jumped all over it and we won the battle, Corey Perry. And on the five on three, Tyler DeFoley was just an area where you could shoot the puck and he just made a good play and shot the puck and it went in. I really feel it's just those two things. I because I don't think they necessarily made any massive elaborate changes aside from the fact that they instead of you know trying to feed the puck to the point which they still did at other instances throughout the game at even strength uh but to get opportunities where you can get those greasy goals that's been a talking point around the Montreal Canadiens over these last few games where they want this so-called greasy goal where they're just in front of the net hacking and mashing away at the net and just hoping some, hoping the puck just goes in. And that's essentially what happened on the Corey Perry goal. And on the five-on-three, where you have uh, obviously more players on the ice than the other team, and Tyler Toffoli is able to get the puck right in front of the net and then score, it's a lot easier to, to establish a net front presence and, and, and get goals from that area of the ice as opposed to on a regular five-on-four, it seems, where you're cycling the puck around and you're not getting the same space that you want and you're firing from the point and it's not nearly as effective as opposed to getting goals from high danger areas. So I think it was just a situation where the Canadians got the looks they wanted on the power play uh, from much more quality shooting areas and they took advantage of it. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to uh, disagree with you. Uh, power plays are still in short supply. I think if there was a common or a shared refrain amongst both fan bases early in the game, it's, what's going on with the refereeing as there was a couple instances of clear and obvious fouls that weren't called. Um, I know a lot of people have a problem with that and I probably should have more of a problem with it than I do. Um, but at least it's balanced. We'll just say that at least it's balanced. That's how I feel. Um, and you know, it, it's still, it's still a little strange that a, you're trying to take as many, not trying to take as many power plays, but at least keeping it at a minimum or within reason if you're the referees. And then the Maple Leafs get one and then an automatic one for the, for the rule book that has to be obviously enforced. And then another non-subjective call with Marner putting it over the glass. Like that's why you can't be too choosy if you're a ref, because it might just get removed from your hands regardless, because some things are out of your control as a referee. And that's a little bit frustrating, I think, but the least put themselves in that position. Let's, let's be honest about that. They did also with the refereeing, I'll say just, you know, both sides have seen uh, their fair share of non-calls and weird calls being made. Like I thought the uh, Dano call uh, for holding Matthews stick. I mean, he, he very much was in the wrong, but when you consider some of the different things that had gone on in that game, yeah. Uh, one incident coming to mind where uh, I forget which Leaf player it was, but Jake Evans pretty much was like trying to like hold him back and like kind of just like push him over and just to get bypass him. And it led to uh, some offensive chances on net for the Canadians. Uh, that doesn't get called, but the, the no holding of the stick gets called. Like it, it seems relatively tame. So that's a big reason why a lot of these fans on both sides kind of go a little off 
when they see those calls, when they see those calls get called, because there's been way worse going on through this series. So it's just, it's just been really weird and really inconsistent, but for the referees, but at least the one consistent thing is both teams can say they've been jobbed at different points. Yeah. And not one of them has been jobbed more than the other. I would, I, I, I wouldn't I agree with that at this point. Um, you got any other uh, praise or criticism for anyone on Montreal or anyone else on Montreal? Do you agree with me that uh, do you agree with me yet that Phil Deneau is still the MVS most valuable skater in the series? Uh, is there anything else that's going on that sort of caught your eye that uh, you feel you should shine a light on before we get out of here? I feel like MVS, I still think like maybe MVS should still be like underrated, but I'll tell you what, uh, for the work, if, if the Canadians win this series and Austin Matthews still uh, goes out of this series with just one goal, if I'm Philip Deneau and it comes time for Mark Bershman to, you know, have talks about renegotiating my contract, I'm with my agent and I bring two things to the negotiating table. I'm bringing a, a stat sheet with Austin Matthews stats in with me. And I'm bringing in a clip of Nathan McKinnon calling me the most underrated center in the league. And I'm playing that on loop during the entire negotiation. Like all like Mark will try to be like, Hey, I think you should. Uh, okay. We get it with the clip. Like it just keeps going over and over, like play <laughs> it on a loop until you annoy him. Uh, another person I will give praise to is a player I've been waiting to have back in the lineup. And I thought he showed hustle in that first line with, with uh, Philip Deneau and, and Brendan Gallagher. And that was Jake Evans. That's a young player who normally plays center has normally played bottom six minutes, but with the, uh, with the play or lack thereof of Thomas Tatar in this series, mm-hmm. uh, the Canadians felt, you know what, let's take him out of the lineup. Let's put Jake Evans in. And I thought he fit okay. I mean, fine. Thomas Tatar is normally counted on as a goal scorer on that line. But Jake Evans had time on the penalty kill. He did well there. He tried his best with the hustle plays and the skating out there as well. Uh, I just thought he was pretty decent. I don't think he was better than like a Kasperi Kakanemi, obviously, or even Cole Caulfield at different points as well. But he's a guy who I thought did did all right in, in, in being put into the lineup. And I think one lesson the Canadians should really just remember because it was shown in the bubble and it's being shown again, you know, playoff experience can only go so far. And sometimes it just pays to be naive and, and lean on some of your younger guys because Kakanyemi's playing well. Uh, Caulfield, obviously Nick Suzuki, who we get it. He had the experience in the bubble last year, but He's shown out as well. Jake Evans is being plugged into the lineup and he's doing okay too. And I don't know if we'll see Alexander Romanov in game seven. I'd be very surprised at this point, but again, I'm going to say that with all the young players being put into situations for this Montreal Canadiens team and what Alexander Romanov has shown uh, in the NHL mints, he did get this year as a fearless rookie defender. Fine. He's not stuffing the stat sheet with points, but He's still showing some poise out there. I don't think the Canadians should be as scared to, to put him in the lineup, especially if they're they're at a point where they feel Eric Gustafson and Brett Kulak are only worth playing seven minutes in a hockey game. Like you might as well, like what, what what's the point? Why not put in Alexander Romanov in there for a different look? That's, that's just my feel. I think you make a good point with uh, <clears throat> Jake Evans. I mean, that's kind of a, it's a pretty big deal to throw him into the top line, a top line that has such an important duty. Um, and, you know, I don't, he's not a rookie, but he's a young guy and mm-hmm. uh, being thrust into a pretty big responsibility and doing a great job. I'm trying to look up how much, how much he played 22 and a, 22 and a half minutes over 22 and a half minutes uh, for a young player. Who's been just trying to get into the lineup is pretty impressive and worthy of a tire pump if you want to yeah. give it to him. But uh, sure. I don't know if you had one prepared. Uh, I did not have one Evans. prepared. You can take Evans or you can, sure. you know, think, think about it for a minute while I give you mine. But I'm going with Nagolo Conte of Chelsea. Oh. Won the Champions League today. Oh. I'm a low-key Chelsea fan. I don't talk about it too much. There are a lot of Chelsea haters out there. It seems like if you're my age, you like Arsenal. And if your age, if you are your age, Julian, you like Liverpool. I know you're a Man U guy. But that just seems to be where the trends are with Arsenal for the, the millennials and then uh, Liverpool being the hot team to support now. Not many people like Chelsea. Not many people were picking Chelsea to win. But Nagolo Conte, in a big game, there's nothing better 
than Nagolo Kante in a big game, whether it's the World Cup final, the Champions League final, Europa League final, just leading the charge on a Premier League run. This guy is one of the bigger ballers in world football, and he should get the credit today and my, my tire pump today. Well done, sir. Uh, thank you for making my day better by having City lose. I really appreciate that because it was go. hard for me to pick between City and Chelsea as a Manchester United fan. So I went into it saying I'm rooting for Chelsea. Sorry, I'm rooting for City to lose. But N'Golo Conte uh, might be the best midfielder of the last five years if we're being real or arguably the winning this one. Uh, considering all the trophies he's won and considering what France looks like this summer, there's a chance he could win Euro as well. Il est petit, il est gentil, il a stoppé Lyon Messi. Like, N'Golo Kante is definitely the guy to watch out for. Uh, Jake Evans could be... I just, wanted, I just wanted you to say that, to be honest. Yeah. He's putting on oh, yeah. tea for you. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Man, um, I, 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 what's been sort of coming under the radar here is that Euro 2020, I guess it is, yeah. is like two weeks away. Like I That's love, nuts. I love Euro and World Cups. Like they're the best thing. Like the, every other year, when you're like done hockey season and it's like, damn, I got like three months of like scrambling to watch anything. I'm like, yeah, I can watch the Blue Jays every now and then, but that's mostly nap time for me. But <laughs> when you can get one of these big major soccer tournaments to sort of fill in six weeks of your summer, there's nothing better than that. I love it. I love it so much. Don't, and don't let don't let too many France, Blue Jays. Yes. You mentioned France. Oh, I'm an England guy, so you know, give Mason Mount some love as well. That's fair. Uh, don't let too many Blue Jays fans hear that you take naps uh, during Blue Jays. I mean, games. it's the per- it's the perfect nap sport. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, I think every, you know every Sunday between like the age yeah. of 18 and 24 for me was spent on a couch half napping through a Blue Jays game in the summer. Oh my god! Because <laughs> I might not have been yeah. feeling good from the night before. I guess. That's Don't, okay. All right. Well, I mean, if you could get to that point, that explains everything. You know what? Uh, I thought about Jake Evans, but my tire pump is going to go to Yasperi Kakanyemi. Yasperi Kakanyemi. Yeah. Here's the thing. Yasperi Kakanyemi, not necessarily the great end to his season. Not only does he score the overtime winner. Uh, I know it might be a little bit hard to describe uh, for audio listeners. And uh, I don't have the photo in front of me. So don't mind me as I pull it up in front. But did you get to see what he was wearing post game uh, for his media availability? I watched uh, my it, man, but I don't remember what he was wearing. My man had himself the nice suit, the nice tie, the nice hat. I approve oh, no. of the Asperi Kotkaniemi drip that he was displaying in the post game availability. Also, that this was not lost on me. Dude pulled up to the availability with the widest grin I have seen him display. Why not? pretty much since he got there. One of the biggest things about Isperi in his rookie year, a lot of people like to, you know, remark at the smile that he has, the joie de vivre that he has. A young kid, kind of wide-eyed, just happy to be in the NHL and just seeing him be happy to have this opportunity. And people have noticed at different points as he goes through the challenges of being an NHL center, that smile is not necessarily there. There's a bit more defeated, a bit more sad. But this dude, he sits down and he is smiling. And all those people who looked at Yesperi and have been impatient with his development. And hey, I was on the side that said, hey, you scale him back and give him as much time to develop. But I still think the Canadians should have done that. But in the playoffs, at least this year, uh, considering a team that has you know struggled at times to score goals consistently... He has three goals to his tally, including an overtime winner. And he could also go back off his performance in the bubble last year. Yusperi Kakanemi has shown, at least when it really matters, he's able to produce at different points. So uh, I think the Canadians, at whether or not this playoff run ends for the Monday or at another point in the summer, uh, they can at least look back at Yusperi Kakanemi and say two years in a row, they can look at him in the playoffs and be satisfied with his output. And the you trip. can smile. You can smile wide and you can puff your chest out in any suit if you score the overtime winner to force a game seven against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And David Pasternak's proof that you can wear any suit at any time, despite how ugly it may be, is just because you're just because you're David Pasternak and he's got, you know, I mean, I think he scored a hat trick in Boston's game one win. We didn't even talk about that, but the round two is on in the East division and we'll be continuing with the other two divisions Sunday and Monday before 
we uh, wrap things up here in the first round of the North Division. We haven't even, we haven't even got to the point where we know who's going to play in the second round. Uh, but we will get there. And we'll be back Monday night. You have anything else to add before we sign off? Or shall we say goodbye? I guess I'll see you Monday night, buddy. Uh, hey, if there's any if there's any redeeming quality from another night at work, that we can talk Habs and Leafs one more time. And we'll do that Monday night. Peace. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.